This is an AMI podcast. This is an AMI podcast. Hi, I'm Megan Gilmore. Welcome to Connecting Disability on AMI. I'm really glad that you stopped by to spend some time with us. This show is all about exploring how our experiences with disability can enhance our relationships with others or lead us to new relationships. That's why we've decided to start this show by exploring the parent-child relationship. That's often where our ideas about disability begin. And every family, like every disability, is unique. And for this episode, we are talking exclusively about adoption, particularly international adoption and how disability can be a barrier for adoption, but how it can also enhance the adoptive experience. Our guest today is Katrina Gossett-Kelly. She is a lawyer at Fagri Baker Daniels in Indianapolis, and she's also an advocate for people with disabilities throughout Indiana. Four years ago, she adopted her son from Bulgaria, and she joins us today to talk about how her disability was an impact in the relationship of adoption and becoming a parent. This is my conversation with Katrina Gossett-Kelly. Hey, Katrina, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. As you know, we're here to talk about your journey with adoption and what adoption can look like for disabled parents. Uh, So first, I'm just curious, growing up, was being a mother something that you wanted to do? Like, how did you conceive of motherhood? I think that... I have wanted to be a mother since I was probably five years old. I had imaginary friends that were my children. They weren't my friends. They were my children. Mm-hmm. One of them was a teenager, and I don't know how that works, but I had a, <laughs> a teenage child when I was like seven, and I was obsessed with baby dolls. I wanted the most realistic-looking baby doll ever achievable at that time. And so I just was always drawn to that. And I didn't know exactly how I wanted to be a mother. You know, I didn't know if I wanted to be pregnant or adopt. My younger sister is adopted. So Mm -hmm. I was exposed to adoption very young and knew that that was a great option for having a family. So that was always on the table for me. How did having a disability influence your ideas about motherhood? Growing up, I didn't have any conception of limitations on motherhood. As I got older and thought about it in a more practical sense, then it had a larger impact on me. At that point, I had to think about what was the best way to go about becoming a mother. For me, I looked at the risks to my health because of my disability and decided that for me, pregnancy wasn't a good option. So then I, then I had to kind of conceive of what else motherhood looks like. And again, I grew up with adoption, so I knew that was a forefront option for me. And so it was kind of just the next logical step. You've mentioned previously in some of your writing about this that it was at times a struggle to find what you call the wheelchair accessible path to adoption. I was just wondering, can you describe a bit more about what that looked like for you? What were some of the barriers to adopting with a disability? There were a lot of barriers depending on which route we took. 
there there are kind of three different main ways of adopting. I, there's probably others that I'm not thinking of, but the three main options that most people think of are infant adoption, which is kind of the you know the stories that you see of a family getting a baby at the hospital, working with the birth mother, etc. Or you can adopt from foster care. So these are children that are wards of the state, the state is responsible for them, and they're a little bit older and need a home. And so you can adopt from the United States that way. And then the third path is international adoption. So we were looking at kind of all of these paths. And first we eliminated infant adoption as a good option for us. Because with infant adoption, you need to be selected by the birth mother. While there's no, you know, rule that says that I can't adopt an infant, it was hard for me to conceive of a lot of birth mothers looking at our profile, seeing that mom is in a wheelchair and can't lift the baby, and thinking, well, that's a good idea for my baby. Any family has a hard time sometimes being chosen. I've known some amazing parents that it took them years to get picked by a birth mother. With the disability on top, I just did not have the patience to wait five years or something to find the right birth mom. And I knew that there were other children in the world that needed families. And I had every interest in being a mother to them as well. So we looked at foster care adoption and international adoption. Foster care adoption is a great option, and we actually really did look into it and probably would have pursued it had we not found our son because they, they really are more obligated to, to not operate under discriminatory policies. That's not to say that it doesn't happen. I'm sure that it does. But I know several families that have been successful in becoming foster parents or adoptive parents to a foster child with disabilities. Because at that point, you're dealing with the government. And so they, they're bound by the ADA. They're bound by different laws that mandate that they not treat disability as a disqualifying factor if, if you can still be a good parent. But we ended up looking at international adoption as well. And the reason that that's a little bit complicated when you use a wheelchair or have any other disability is that some countries are very discriminatory against parents with disabilities. Other countries are more open. So I had to kind of look at that and learn what countries I should even consider. Some countries really pretty much lay out that they will not allow a parent in a wheelchair to adopt. Then other countries were more flexible. And we landed on Bulgaria because they are one of the more flexible countries at being open to parents with disabilities, with mental illness history, with just a lot of different things that they're, they're more flexible than some countries. Once you determined the country that mm -hmm. your child was going to come from, how did you know which child out there was your child? So it's funny because I really, I had set out to find a child that did not have too significant of disabilities because I knew that I was going to be relying on my spouse to assist with care because I couldn't do the lifting. And so I wanted to maybe ideally find, you know, a child that could walk and do those things. So I originally had set out my parameters looking for that. I went to a page called Rainbow Kids where families can see children that are waiting for adoption in other countries and a few kids that are waiting for adoption here in the United States, where I am. 
I went there and I searched for children in Bulgaria and I was looking for any number of conditions. You know, I, I was open to a lot of things. But I stumbled upon a little boy who it was on the profile listed as having hemophilia. And, you know, that's a very manageable disability for anybody. And since I can't pick him up and change him, etc., I thought, well, that's a good fit. Then I clicked on it, and it turned out he also had spinal muscular atrophy, which is a significant disability, but it happens to be the disability that I have. Somehow when I saw that, it just felt like, like a flash, like a moment of, oh my gosh, this is my child. Like, I can't look away. It was, I found him by not looking for him, and it was just meant to be in so many ways. It just felt right. He was five years old at the time and just the sweetest little boy. They said he was helpful to his friends. He had a, a little friend who was blind that he would help grab the toys for him and stuff. And so it was just this amazing little boy who happened to have the condition that I know everything about and can help him. I knew once I found him that he was our son. So how quickly were you able to bring him home? Like once you had determined that this was your son, what was the next step? Once I found him, first I had to convince my spouse that this was the right move, or at least ask them if they were on board. And my spouse was on board right away. So I um, we moved forward from there. It took a year to get him home. From the time that I saw his picture... So the day he came home, it was maybe five days less than a year. For international adoption, that's actually fairly fast. Some some adoptions take a year and a half or more. So so we were able to get things going quickly. But even then, I mean, that's a lot of time and a lot of paperwork and a lot of just process to get it done in that year's time. Then what was it like for you when he came home? I mean, it was pretty... Amazing, right? I so I got my firm was very good about parental leave, and I had ten weeks off, and so I had ten weeks to be home with him and just soak him in and learn and have him learn from me. He didn't speak any English at the time when he came home, and I I had learned enough Bulgarian to get by, but it was not a whole lot. And so we were just kind of working together, just kind of figuring each other out, learning, communicating. I remember maybe the first full day that he was home, he would start holding up toys and having me say the English word and then trying to say it. So he was just a very bright little guy that was soaking it all in. It was a wonderful time. It was all obviously a very exhausting time, but it was just wonderful also. And then he touched me so quickly. I want to go back to some things you mentioned about the process of adopting. You talked about how you had to consider that there might be some prospective birth parents who may not want to have their child adopted by a disabled parent. What was it like having to consider how somebody else might be viewing your disability? Honestly, that's been... I mean, certainly that's been my entire life, but especially that's been my entire experience as a parent as well. I feel like I'm constantly sort of looking over my shoulder, wondering how people perceive my relationship to my son and my ability to parent, which is a distressing thing. It should not happen that way. I know that I'm a pretty amazing mom. 
but I know that just from a very outside photograph perspective, we look different. So I guess it was good training for how it was going to feel to be a parent with a disability is knowing that people are going to be looking at you funny and sort of wondering if they should intervene in some way. Some of it's perceived by me. You know, it's just an interesting thing to be judged by outsiders based on this one characteristic that really has zero impact on my ability to parent. I'm not a parent yet, but I know in my own life, like any person with a disability, I get stopped, you know, in, in public. People have many questions or are trying to be helpful and it doesn't always go the way uh, um, either of us wanted it to. Um, but I'm super grateful that for most of my life, Katrina, I am alone when that awkward exchange happens. My family, my friends don't usually have to see it. Right. But if I'm a parent one day and that happens, my, my kids kid's going to be there. Do you have any advice for people about navigating the world as a disabled parent when your child is, is right there? I guess my best advice would be to be confident, know your strengths, know your worth, know your ability and your child. Stand up for yourself. If somebody's trying to help your child while you're right there, you can tell them to stop. And I've been in that situation, you know, where somebody's trying to assist my child with something that I didn't want them to have. And you don't need to intervene. We've got this. And I think, yeah, so just sort of being confident in yourself and not allowing you or your child to be kind of pushed around because somebody else has a false perception of your ability to parent. And, and have allies, have people, friends and family that will stand up for you too. Because unfortunately, in this world, those naysayers are going to listen more to your allies than you, which is very frustrating. But it's worthwhile to have people that will stand up for you and be like, hey, she's a good mom, leave her alone. It's just a work in progress, parenting. And I'm not sure that we've experienced everything that we're going to experience. But what I do know is that I know that I am a great mom and I know my kid knows that. Mm. And, and those are the most important things to keep in mind, I think. What's it been like for you having a son who has the same disability as you? Like, how do you teach him about or prepare him for what it's going to be like to live with SMA throughout the rest of his life? It's been a journey. He, you know, faces different challenges at different times. Um, and he'll go through periods of great frustration with his disability. And in those times, I try to be empathetic and sort of, you know, just here to hear how you're feeling. But also, I want to always model disability positivity, basically, you know, express that, like, I understand the frustration, but I also love who I am. And I love who you are with your disability. That is part of you. It is not a he is awesome, even though he has a disability. He's awesome and he has a disability. Those are all part of who he is. I think the other thing that's been really amazing is that I have a good perspective on what kinds of things he needs. So from the start, you know, I knew that um, a hospital bed might be useful, but I knew that hospital beds are really boring and not fun to have. So I turned the hospital bed into a race car bed. I attached race car sides to the safety rails and made it an amazing bed instead. Knowing how I felt as a child, um, I've been able to sort of anticipate things that might be helpful to him. I've been able to choose toys that work for him and, 
you know, I always wanted a water gun that I could shoot myself and I couldn't find <laughs> one when I was a kid. But knowing what he can do and knowing that as an adult, I really wish I had one as a kid. I found him a water gun that he can operate. So it's the little things, but they add up to a big thing, I think. Why would you encourage other disabled parents to consider adoption, whether it's domestic or international? Adoption is an amazing path to parenthood. I've heard it said that adoption is beautiful and tragic at the same time. And so I don't want to brush past that. It is. It's a family broken apart and another family formed from that. That is a beautiful and sad thing. But it's amazing to be able to step in for that child where they need it. To me, and to any adoptive parent I've ever spoken to, it does not feel any less valid as an experience of parenthood than having a child in your room or having your genetic material within that child. It is just as authentically parenthood as any other route to parenthood. And the love is exactly the same. It is an amazing thing to be a parent regardless of how you became a parent. There are so many children that need families. Disabled parents are probably going to be more open to disabled children. And there's a lot, a lot of disabled children that need homes. In fact, if you look at, say, the um, foster care adoption, anytime there's young children that are adoptable in the U.S., it's because they have a disability or almost any time. So it's because those children are having the hardest time finding homes. And in international adoption, that's a large majority of the children that are available are children with health conditions or disabilities. And I think that parents with disabilities are going to be some of the most open people to that, that kind of family. And I think that we offer gifts of experience and of knowledge and of disability pride that you might not have in another family. So I think it would be wonderful if more parents with disabilities considered adoption because these kiddos with disabilities need homes and wouldn't it be cool if they had a home with a disabled parent? What do you think needs to change for more disabled parents to be able to pursue adoption? I know I can probably hear somebody right now saying, yeah, that's all great and good, but adoption's really expensive and disability you know, can often lead to financial insecurity. Uh, so what are some of the things that need to be put in place to give greater access to adoption for disabled parents? If cost is like a huge barrier, foster adoption is not that expensive. It's actually really not. And often if your child has health conditions, the state, and this is the United States that I'm speaking for, I don't know in other countries the systems, but in the United States, often the state will actually provide financial support to the family if they adopt a child with health conditions or disabilities. Keep in mind that financially there are ways to do it even now. Greater access to healthcare is going to be huge. A family adopting a child needs to know that their child will be able to get healthcare. Um, they need to know that they'll be able to get healthcare and attendant care. Um, I would love to see more supports for adoption, financial grants, things like that. I think you know there are some reasons that there that international adoption is expensive, partly to make sure that you know no one's engaging in child trafficking things like that. So there is some benefit to that, but I think that also 
if a family can show that they are very legitimately interested in adoption, but don't have those financial resources, I'd love to see more options for grants and for scholarships and things like that to make it easier. And then I'd like to see more support for families that are adopting, more resources. The adoption agencies do provide that to some degree, but sometimes it just feels like you're on your own once you bring your child home. And if we could have better systems in place where they, you knew who to turn to and you knew how to find the resources for your child to find a therapist that is competent in attachment and trauma, those would all be really helpful. It's a lot of, a lot of changes would make it a lot easier, but I think, yeah, that financial support and just also just the emotional support of supporting families who have made that decision and making them feel confident that somebody's going to be there for them. What are some of the things you've seen that families need after the adoption is complete and they're with their child. Because for us on the outside, we may think that the story is done once the paperwork is finalized and the family and the child are all together. But that's really just the beginning. It is. When you talk about adoption is tragedy, adoption is trauma as well. And so a child coming into a family through adoption has experienced a loss no matter what age they were brought into that family. Because even a child adopted at birth has lost the connection to the woman that they could hear in utero. There's a lot of psychological support issues that families could use help with. These kiddos need help. The parents need help. We need respite, you know, to the extent that a family needs a little bit of time for mom and dad to go out and have date night to make it easier to find those respite resources. That would be key. Uh, The other thing is that a lot of these children need educational support. And so they need help with whatever their individualized education plan, their IEP. The parents need somebody to help them know what rights their children have and how to go about making sure that those rights are protected. I was kind of deeply in the system in some ways ahead of time, so I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. But to the extent that you don't know, you don't know, and you don't even know what options are out there for your child. Helping on that side of it to be kind of maybe parent advocates that can help the parents with what needs to be done and to get them the proper education, I think would be really helpful and supportive. Just general support and knowing that it's not an easy road. Parenthood in any situation is not an easy road, but adoption certainly is as challenging as any other road, if not more so. For people who are listening to this and they could be in the middle of their adoption process and they're waiting to be united with their child or children, what encouragement would you have for families who are in the waiting part of the game? I mean, my encouragement is keep holding on. We've all been there. There are social media support groups that have been extremely helpful for kind of that paper pregnancy. A lot of, that's a term that I learned once I was in adoption, paper pregnancy. So you're like, in that waiting period, you're filling out paperwork, you're doing all of that. And finding other parents that were in the middle of that same time was very helpful, very supportive. And so I recommend finding that community because there's a lot of anxiety during that wait. Every, I mean, 
you find yourself checking your email multiple times a day just to make sure that nothing came in that you were waiting on. I found it very helpful to have other people having those same anxieties that I could lean on and sort of commiserate with. And I would encourage anybody that's not in the middle of the process, but knows someone that is, to support them the way that you would any other pregnant couple, any other pregnant parent, any other person that's about to become a parent, because they're, they're having those same emotions, even if there's no hormones building up, and recognize that those same anxieties and those same feelings and those same joys are happening to your friend or family member that you know, and, and support them like if they were growing a human. One thing that I wanted to mention is that as a disabled parent, it's been really true that it takes a village to raise a child. So I've I've relied on family and friends to help me with babysitting and just to hang out with me and my son at different times. I think that it's really important to recognize that there's nothing wrong with that. A friend of mine was saying that the other day that she spent time in countries and other cultures where that's kind of expected, that family and friends do step in to help each other. But I know in the United States and maybe elsewhere, it's kind of this like bootstraps mentality of you got to do it on your own. You don't rely on others for anything. And I just think we've kind of got it backwards, especially for parenting. I think recognizing that it does take a village and that that's a good thing that improves your child's life, that improves their experiences, they get to know more people, they have more supports, and allowing people to help you is really, really important. Now, kind of building off of that, it is great to have a community, but it doesn't always look that way or feel that way. So at first, I'm just curious for you right now. What are some ways that disability is isolating for you? Within this pandemic, it's been extremely isolating in a lot of ways, both in actual isolation and also just psychologically. When the pandemic first hit, we didn't really leave much at all for several months. My son has been learning remotely for more than a year and a half now. He hasn't gotten to go back to school that entire time. The level of isolation of that is just, it's heartbreaking, really. You know, so we've got a lot of limitations in that way. And then I would say on the other side of it, I just don't know that people understand the isolation of it. And so you feel even more isolated because nobody seems to understand what you're going through in that situation. Most people are just sort of living their life or at least some version of their life after the pandemic started and can't really even understand the level of anxiety that we have going out around people and the amount of frustrations that we deal with because we're stuck here. And so it's, you know, it can be very isolating when you don't feel like anybody understands you either. And then in these moments of isolation, what are the ways that you're still able to connect with other people or how have people been able to connect with you? So there's two different important ways I think that I've connected with people. One is through social media. I've got some really strong communities that I'm connected with. That um, One of the communities is people with disabilities that have the same disability as I do. Another is a group of adoptive parents adopting from Bulgaria. 
both of those are really important to me to like connect with people that have similar lived experiences. The pandemic hasn't stopped that in any way. That connection is still there and probably even stronger than it was before because we don't have a lot of interactions with real people. On the other side, especially as I've been sort of starting my journey as a single parent, I've had a lot of support from a small group of family and friends, all of whom are vaccinated and very protective of us wearing masks around my son and things, that have come together to help. They have helped me when I'm just hanging out with my kiddo and I need somebody around to help him go to the bathroom, or they've stepped in to give me a night off to have a little bit of fun and feel like a, a real human again. And and they've been just amazing about it. So it's kind of been a blessing in a way. I You know, as hard as all of this has been, it's brought stronger connections with family and friends that I maybe hadn't talked to that much before all of this happened. And so I think that those connections were born out of that isolation and desperation and have been amazing. Well, Katrina, thank you so much for letting us be included in these connections. I really appreciate your honesty and telling your story. And I hope many other people get to experience the the joy of adoption that you've gotten to. Wonderful. I've, I've had a great time talking to you and I, I have the same hope. Thank you so much. Connecting Disability is a production of AMI-audio. It's written and produced by me, Megan Gilmore. Nizreen Abdel-Majid is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Special thanks to our guest, Katrina Gossett-Kelly, and her family for sharing their story. And special thanks to all the friends I know who have adopted or fostered children. Uh, particular thanks to my friend and personal hero, Sarah Tires for which she's taught me about how fostering children can expand your life in both very hard and always beautiful ways. Thanks so much for listening. We'll connect next time. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.